Hello. Welcome to the downside. How are you doing, Russell? I'm sweaty but good. How are you? I I'm I'm a little bit of a mess. And we're here. We're joined today by stand-up comedian and many other things, but stand-up comedian, as I know him, Christian Finnegan. Thank you. I, I am uh, increasingly fewer other things <laughs> as the years go by. You're listening to The Downside. The Downside. With John Marco Cerezi. Uh, well, thank you for joining us, Christian. We'll, Pleasure's we'll mine. We'll get to you in a second. I, um, Mountain Dew. I haven't had, oh, die Mountain Dew. I haven't had a Mountain Dew in so many years. I, and every time I have one, I forget how good they are. It's it's my morning beverage. Oh. I don't drink coffee. And so really? I okay, usually start my day trip. with uh, either that or Coke Zero. Harder to find Diet Mountain Dew many places. But uh, Has this always been your, your ways? A little bit. A little bit. It's uh, there. Some people have the mistaken idea that I might be like classy or something uh-huh, uh-huh. because I try to speak with diction or whatnot. But no, sure. there's it's no it's garbage. I'm trash. I'm is it person. is it super caffeinated? Is like more yes. than a coffee? Uh, no, I just don't like coffee. Interesting. I don't like coffee, but I need that caffeine slap like everybody does in the morning. And so usually I get that from my little uh, DMD. You I know, want to try it. I used to love Code Red Mountain Dew. That see it, that, that's that is trash. I mean, that, that's that, like toxic. That Wait, definitely. How is that trash? Because it's a different color. It's I not mean, green. It, I, it's got to be way worse. Like, I think just the wise. fact that that it like code red is if like this is dangerous to drink. <laughs> like it's it's very yeah, yeah. '90s like radical dude. You know, yeah. uh, it's very X. Does Mountain Dew go by like the terrorist scale yeah, for New yeah. York City? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're committing terrorism on your body. Um, I'm drinking. I, this is this is one of my downsides already. I, every time there's a new Lacroix flavor, get I get it. You got plum. This is beach plum, and I got a whole fucking case of this and lemoncella. Lemon. Oh, I, lo- I love the lemon. Oh, take them all from me. Okay, I'll stop drink drinking one. the plains. I like one. the plains. Oh, okay. Sorry. No. <laughs> I just I'm, I want to get a sponsorship with. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm still bumping on the phrase beach, beach plum. plum. Well, I was confused. Is that what plums are? Is, is, is that when you that grow on beaches? Take a dump on the beach. Is that what they call <laughs> yeah. that a, a beach plum? I don't think plums grow on beaches. Um, well, I this this is going to come out in a couple weeks, and so I'm fair. I'm free to say this. The thing I'm I'm complaining about right now. I work at a, a comedy club in in Times Square. I won't say the name, but you know, it's it's when you uh, say you work, you, you perform one perform. of the clubs you work at. Okay, yeah, I yeah, like, yeah. Boy, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it it reopened, you know, and. Uh, but the the pay has not been the same. It's been less. And if I were to attend this club, uh, would I you be would enjoying never, myself never in an out loud fashon? Uh, would uh, I be laughing out loud? At you, this, you, at this you, you, you'd be club? laughing out loud. You could do anything out loud, and okay. no one would stop you. Okay, <laughs> no one would stop you. I uh, <laughs> and uh, the pay did not go back, and I wait, wait. The pay did not go. Back, back to, to normal the, to normal rates, or even back. even as everything got back to full capacity, and frankly, mm-hmm. audiences were pretty full. And I was also agreeing to do a lot of guest spots. I've probably done fifty spots there since COVID, everything came back. Yeah, I've been paid for two of them and twenty dollars each. So it's it's bad. And I was of the mindset, I just want to work. I just want stage time. And then my money dipped below a certain point. Now I'm like, we gotta we gotta do something about this. So tonight and tomorrow. July 2nd, July 3rd, everyone who is decent is not performing there. Oh, you're going to do like a walkout kind Striking. of thing? Like a- yeah, yeah. We're just, we all said no to spots. Oh, okay. Like, the, like so you're not the, scheduled. You're you. They okay. know we're you're not, not scheduled. Coming. So okay. yes, it's not a, it's not a total step. Basically, they some of the older comics reached out, tried talking getting a discussion going nothing was happening so everyone's everyone's saying no mm. and the hope is you know this is a club that's not worried about its yelp rating this is a you they want people there once it's a tourist tourist yeah. spot but the hope is that when it's packed if you have comics going up who don't know how to work that kind of room that they'll start walking on mass how many people are in doing it like i don't know for sure but i think they covered their bases because we have like an app uh and i get email notifications and yesterday was just like all these open spots and i know i'm gonna get a call today like hey can you come in and uh i'm gonna say i'm gonna i'm gonna stand strong you're gonna answer i'm gonna answer and say i'll be right there Please. You're, you're gonna cross. I'll do the whole set. You're gonna cross. You're gonna be a scab. I know it. You're gonna be like, oh, well, let me. John, what John if they Michael offer Sarasi you show. like a lot, a lot of money? 
what like thirty yeah, dollars? Like yeah, that yeah. would be that would be like that would be them going like fine, fine. Uh, have you ever been part of a one of the strikes? We we talked to Ted Alexandro about his kind of yeah his uh, his comedy activism alongside Tom Shalou, which seems hilariously weird now, uh, given that Tom would break any strike in the world. Uh, I mean, Tom's like a Fox Fox News radio guy, but yeah, he and he and uh, Ted were um, headed up one of those initiatives. The problem with the various comedy strikes or the comedy unions that have tried to develop over the years is the gatekeeping aspect of it. You know, how do you determine who is a quote-unquote comic? You know, a lot of people play clubs occasionally. They get one spot a month or they do the open mic. And I'm not I'm not trying to belittle a younger comic or whatever, but y- you know, the there's no way of demarking who is qu- kind of in the club and out of the club. Like if you're a yeah. welder, you can either you're, you're either a welder or you're not. Yeah. With comedy, there's so many gradations uh, that I just think it, it, it becomes really difficult. And also, comedians, I think, are burned by nature sort of mercenary in their approach mm-hmm. to things. Mm-hmm. And collective action is not really... If we were into collective action, we'd be fucking improv weirdos. Exactly. You know. <laughs> and to your first point, there are an increasing number of clubs, especially in New York City, where it really is like it's not important that it's a good show. That yes. it's just like it's yes. just got to just barely be good enough. But like there's certain clubs, they don't care if every person leaves going, that sucked. Yeah. They don't care. Yeah. And yeah. that is that is not good. Do you feel pretty uh, nihilistic about? Oh, yeah. I mean, I there's one club uh, that I uh, I am. I don't know if I'm banned. I won't go back. So it's not an issue. Uh-huh. But uh, I I went on a podcast once years ago uh, and kind of talk some smack about one particular club and the owner uh heard it or not didn't even hear it somebody went to the general manager like a typical comic this is the sort of you know mercenary uh crap that one of the young comics who kind of hangs out and and they said to the manager they're like hey uh if a comedian stabbed you in the back would you want to know about that <gasps> and because rich was a, a, the manager at the time who was a guy i knew like told me that this happened oh yeah and so Anyway, it got to the owner and he is a big baby and he started, I saved the emails, just all caps, 1500 words. It's so hard. I I feel like I'm trying to push myself to be like, talk honestly on this podcast. And then of course, there's that fear in the back of my head. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, I don't mind. It's not a bridge that exists for me, like by choice and by their choice, but I don't want to. No, no, I know. I know what it is. I'm going to reach out and say, hey, you want to know if someone stabbed you behind your back a second time? (laughs) Let me tell you, he did it again. I'm your friend. One of the problems I had with this class, one of the things I said on the podcast is just like, they're constantly just telling people in Times Square that, you know, famous comedians are going to be there. And at the time, I would have been considered on the very lowest rung of that. Like I was on mm-hmm. TV quite a bit or whatever. And and so I would get emails from people being like, hey, I heard somebody said you were going to be at this club and we showed up and it sucked and you weren't there. And then I have to be like, I'm sorry, I had no control over that. Yeah. And so I said that and I and I said on the podcast, is like, I feel like they're doing a disservice to comedy in general, yeah. the, the, this club's sure. existence. And that got back to him and blah, blah, blah. And then whatever, a couple of years later, we, I don't know, we mended fences. I started playing the club again, but then I still would get these people saying like, they said you were going to be there and you weren't and, and whatever. I, uh, that is, how uh, they get your email? I, you know, on my website, you know, there's a CF at ChristianFinnegan.com. Sure. Which, I yeah. doubt, like, I forget, like, email. who's on those flyers. Like, do you think, like, Roseanne was getting those emails, too? Like, Roseanne, oh, they, they, they would they say, like, Sarah Silverman, us. Dave Chappelle. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, I mean, yeah. they, I, I think now with the internet, they don't, they can't be quite as shameless. But, ah, uh, yes. But, man, you know, 10 years ago, not that there wasn't the internet then, but it, you wouldn't just immediately pull out your phone and Google it the way you right. can now. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, when I get home, I'm going to get on my computer and check this out. You know, so in the early 2000s or whatever, people would just, they would just flat out lie. Be like, oh yeah, Jay Leno, Bill Maher, you know, yeah. uh, whoever. Yeah, I remember- Rodney's going to come back from the grave and perform. <laughs> yeah. You know? I remember visiting the city when I was like, you know, 1920 and doing just that, like being in Times Square and seeing a sign and they're like Chappelle mm-hmm. you know they do the whole thing and you're like, like you go have, there and you're like I like it, it's not that they but must yes, have stopped that practice no they, they have not no. they have no impetus to stop that practice I understand for yeah for one every somebody like me who kind of is determined to consistently injure myself by standing on principle 
who complains about it, nobody else is really complaining about it. And like you said, they're they're meant to come there once, then they're gone. It's just like, we got your money. It's a get them in the tent thing. And the the street teams don't care because they get paid according to how many people cash yeah. in those tickets that they give out. Yeah. You know, and so it's a, there's no, there's no reason for this particular club owner to stop doing that. Because I would say, dude, you got to stop it. He's like, it's a street team. I have no control over them. It's like, dude, they're selling uh -huh. tickets to your club. You have control over this. You don't want to exert that control. But I, I, I tried doing it once when I first was thinking about getting into comedy I did the barking and I couldn't sell tickets to save my life because I can't I don't have that I'd be like hey guys there's a thing you're not gonna yeah, like it I know if you have you're nothing, not gonna like it if you're just you're looking for a bathroom to use I guess $30 I didn't want to rip them off either because the ticket I, people you can you can if you can sell them for whatever you want you basically like you know the tickets are going to be $15 but you can if you're a bold motherfucker you could sell them for 50 bucks a pop and just make mad money yeah. these dudes are making money the the one club that I work at, I mean, he has he has like a light that just flashes, like to get tourists' attention. Just a, an aggressive light that shines in their face. Yeah, it's very barbaric. The whole oh yeah, thing. and the whole thing is kind of based on we couldn't get tickets at DKTS to the thing we wanted. Yes, and we're already yeah. in the city, and this was our big vacation, Dad, and you've ruined it by not buying these tickets in advance and and whatever. And so it's like, fine, we'll go here. Like, yeah. so we can say we did something in Times Square. It's very funny because also, like, at the, the Lantern uh, in, in Greenwich Village, there'd be a lot of, like, oh, we wanted to go to the cellar. There's a lot of, like, yeah. that yeah. audiences, they oh, couldn't yeah. get into the cellar. The Times Square, they couldn't get to the Broadway That other show. one down the road on McDougal, the, you know, which is owned by the same guy. Oh, have I made it, have I made it obvious yet? Uh, but, yeah, the, the entire audience is slightly disappointed before the show even starts because it's like this isn't, this isn't yeah. what we had planned on. <laughs> you know that's why the club i'm talking about where uh where i don't know if you heard bill bird tried to come by and the the floor manager didn't know who he was and gave him the email to to email his Hilarious. tape and i was like i was like you motherfucker if you got one picture of bill burr on this stage you could you'd make t-shirts out of it you yeah. could use this to for the next decade yeah but they didn't know who he was that is so funny yeah I mean, that, you know, <laughs> not that I am Bill Burr by, by any stretch of the imagination, but that was one of the things that sort of happened to me when I was on that this VH1 show in the in the Paleolithic era. Um, I went I had I have a weird thing with the, the cellar, which is, of course, kind of the most famous club in the city. Uh, I think it's because I went to NYU and so I lived around the corner from it or whatever. For a long time, I just never, I never bothered to audition there, even when I was doing all the other clubs or whatever. And it was just a weird part of it is I don't like trying to fuck the prom queen. Uh -huh. Like there's a yeah. part of me that's okay. kind of like, you know what? It's a stage and a mic. Like I don't need, yeah. I want to succeed without doing, like that was my dumb, which was hurting nobody but myself. But yeah, I, yeah. it was about 20 years that I did that. Um, but uh, the main reason is, is like in like 2004 or something, I went by with another comic to just watch or whatever. And I got the hand in the chest from some, you know, Israeli bouncer guy and just really. And I just walked and I was like, you know what? No, I, I was right to not want to come here. Like I and uh, after the dude kind of told me I couldn't come in, somebody in line for the show asked for a picture with me. And I was kind of like. Sure, Hilarious. you know what I mean. <laughs> and again, they, they don't care. He, he, this dude is doing his job. He's yeah, been yeah, hired yeah. to not let people in or whatever. I get it, but at the time, I thought I was really pissy about it. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I finally got over that, and then finally started doing the cellar in February of 2020. And then, oh. <laughs> then the pandemic hits, and so now I'm kind of back to scratch. Fantastic. Um, I should say, I always, you know, I always wait probably too long to say this is the downside with Jamar yeah. Serezi. This is a podcast where, if you couldn't tell, we embrace the negative. We complain. Uh, uh, Russ is a little more positive than me until he gets drunk. <laughs> and then he's a mean motherfucker. No, 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 We're going to no, do no, a no. drunk Patreon no, episode no, one no. time soon. Uh, speaking of, guys... As as you heard, I'm not getting paid a lot for these spots. So please join the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash downside. You get bonus episodes, video bonus episodes. Patreon.com slash downside. It's a lot of fun. Support support my dreams. And uh, uh, yeah, back back to this. I uh, Did you ever have a podcast? I've tried a few times. I, I did a podcast for like a year, that, but it was a music podcast. And the problem was, is that it was you know, back a long time ago. And it was like, 
didn't really fit in the music section because I'm a comedian, so it was kind of a funny music podcast. Uh-huh. Didn't really fit in the comedy section. And I just, uh, I kind of... I'm the kind of person who needs somebody to help me with things. <laughs> like I try to do, I, over the pandemic, I tried to do another music podcast just cause that's, I don't really listen to comedy podcasts. No offense. Uh, no, I, I don't really, I don't really want to hear it. Honestly, uh-huh. I get for the it. most part. I only have um, one that I listen to. I understand. I listen to music podcasts almost exclusively because I have no connection to them and I can just enjoy them fully, yeah, yeah. you know, either that or news podcasts. But, um, but yeah, I, I never have really done it the right way. I've always either tried to do it myself. I, I did the, the podcast I did originally was with uh, the Creek in the Caves old network. And then they stopped doing their podcasts and deleted all of my episodes without oh, telling me. Oh, brutal. <laughs> strange. Brutal. Process. Why? I, don't, Why I hadn't recorded everything? one in a few months, and I think they needed the hard drive space, I guess, <laughs> or whatever. And so it was kind of like, all right, well, I guess that means I'm not doing this anymore. Oh. I don't need more than one reason to stop doing something. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you say music podcast, what do you, what is that? Like, do you uh, talk about music or you play music? No, I talk like- about it mostly. I'm just a, I'm like, it's a thing that has become increasingly useless in the 21st century. Like, I was the dude, like, I want a car on a game show once for yeah. knowing 80s music videos. It was wow. a, a VH1 game show called Name That Video. And I was like that dude who watched MTV like 10 hours a day yeah. growing up. And, okay. And, uh, and I was like, I was the dude who expressed his love in high school by making mixtapes, you know, like love that was, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was that douche. And, um, so the, the podcast that I did was called audio spackle. And essentially it was like every, uh, week there would be a theme like, uh, songs for irrational exuberance or songs to play when you get dumped or whatever. And I would have a guest in and we'd, you know, make oh, a little fun. playlist or whatever, but it was really labor intensive. And so I, I never really got the, the idea of what makes a podcast work, which is a simple concept that people can understand immediately that does not require your guests to do a shit ton of work. Yes. Speaking of, of playlists, I need, uh, I got to figure out, I got to make a sex playlist, I've been realizing. I, I'm not going to say my girlfriend's name on this episode because I'm going to talk about it. Okay. But I, did you ever do Brunhilde? a sex playlist? We always we it's always like a long thing with Alexa where it's like Alexa R and B and then it's something I'm not yeah I'm not no to. you gotta have a little more control and then we do poolside I think is what we do or chill that's our we Alexa chill. play chill playlist yeah see I'm I'm of a different era so to me it was you would have to have the proper CDs loaded into your six CD changer uh huh if you thought you were maybe hooking up that night um so when I was like out doing the bar thing in the late nineties, early two thousands. <laughs> I would uh I would had a six C D changer in my stereo and I would load it up with uh the first Portishead album and uh Mazzy Stars, So Tonight That I oh, Might See. That's a good one. And uh Astro Weeks by Van Morrison. I had like six I'd you know, and I would just have it ready so that way it's You needed like, all six loaded in there? Oh no, yeah, I mean, it took I me. Mean, I mean, needed- you're gonna come back, you're gonna maybe have a nightcap, you're gonna talk, you know, who knows? Exactly. Like, he can't just like, the moment penetration is happening. He has well, and there's and, and like I said, like like, you know, not every sexual experience might be a uh a portis head type experience. It might be oh, more of a so her is you're like, thing. Mm, like Van Morrison yeah. this yeah. one I don't know oh, that's he's got to have options that's I mean really that, that was our version of playlists back then it is that you have to really commit yes. you have to because there was a, a mid a mid session playlist change recently because what, like, Wait, just a song came on that was like this is like this is exactly that was it yeah. Uh, what's your music for for silence? No. <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, shut the fuck up. Stop. Stop. Um, no. I. Uh, yeah. I think it's like I don't actually. I don't think of it a lot, but it's like it's probably like it's like a chill thing. Do you uh, run it? Do you run the show? No. Ship? You know, usually it's not me running it. It's usually Nicole. I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm making it sound like there's like, multiple who, people. Your there. wife no, or it's the cats? <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think, and I do playlists most in most other areas of my life, so that's interesting. Um, so, Kristen, I, I of course wanted to talk about uh, you recently had open heart surgery. I did. Oh. Congratulations on thank you, being thank here. you. I did it on yeah. myself, which is the really <laughs> wow. the real accomplishment. You should do a podcast about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, the how to a DIY heart surgery podcast. Yes, uh, on Wednesday it'll be six weeks. Congratulations! Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what was it for exactly? 
I had uh, what they call an aortic aneurysm. Uh, so actually my heart itself was totally fine, is totally fine. It's the aorta, which is the tube that comes out the top of your heart and then kind of goes around. Uh, it's like the main artery that comes from your heart and there's the aorta. Uh, and mine right at the stem where it meets the heart was enlarged and getting larger. And if that were to be left unchecked, uh, if it ruptures, you're dead. Essentially, it doesn't rupture that often. Or you know, you usually have some time. Like I wasn't like rushed to the hospital. I was able to like plan my surgery. So yeah. How did you find out that you had this to begin with? Ever since the pandemic started, I had kind of a a sporadic pressure in the top of my chest that I would feel that was different. Like I could just tell. And at first, I thought it was COVID because when nobody knew what COVID was like, yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had a COVID test and it was clean and whatever. And uh, it just started to get worse, and it seemed to be kind of stress-related. And um, how long would it last? Like, the moment you said that, I was like, I've of course. felt an occasional <laughs> exactly. pressure in the center of my chest. You know, a couple hours, few hours at a time. Uh -huh. Or or some. sometimes I wonder, like, am I feeling this all the time? I only just, Maybe I only notice it when I'm stressed or whatever. Uh, and I have, like, a real history of heart shit in my family. Mm. Yeah. Both my brothers passed away from heart stuff and my mother. Oh, my God. And so, yeah. So it's like I kind of knew... To take it seriously, it only took me nine months to get to the doctor to check it out. Uh, well, cause it started it started off as just kind of a, an occasional little thing, and then every around it's funny that the time when I event original, sorry, when I finally was like, all right, I got to check this out, was the day after the insurrection, uh, when everybody was like flipping out, like watching the news and like what yeah. the hell is going to go on, and and I tweeted some shit about comedians becoming shitty right-wing podcasters and that uh -huh. started to make the viral rounds or whatever yeah and so i'm started you know and all that sort of comedy squabble shit and i was really feeling tense and uh and i was like all right this doesn't feel right whatever's going on right now and so then i eventually made an appointment with a cardiologist and then they took an ekg and blah blah blah, blah. i don't know how you separate the, the anxiety i feel from a twitter Twitter kerfuffle is probably very similar to having a heart attack. Well, I, I just felt, very, I felt very localized, like I could uh -huh. feel specifically. Yeah. And what I found out since then is that uh, usually uh, your va your heart valves, um, it's supposed to look like a Mercedes symbol, like three flaps that sort of open and close. And that's what it looks like, uh -huh. like a peace sign, essentially. Uh, but some people, that's called a tricuspid valve. What I have is what they call a bicuspid valve, where there's only two of those flaps, which in and of itself is not a bad thing, but it results, it, it occasionally results in these aortic aneurysms. It's more like and a black and white cooking. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of, kind of a little <laughs> bit like that. And so, uh, so like I said, my heart itself was fine, but they had to saw through the chest to get to it. So. How old was your two, were your two brothers when they passed away? Uh, my younger brother was nineteen, and my oh, older brother was a, thirty-seven. Wow. My younger brother had a heart transplant when he was like eight, and so he had been sick his entire life. Like wow. he wasn't supposed to live like more than three years, and so that was not really a, a huge shock. It was a long grind kind of thing. Whereas my older brother just had a heart attack at thirty-seven and just died, and then my mom just like five years ago uh, had basically almost the same surgery she was having valve replacement and she died uh during the surgery which you know she was obese and she was older and there were things there were mitigating circumstances so it wasn't like you know it, it, i knew when i talked to the surgeon about the surgery you know he's like it's a really high success rate this is a you know i'm doing five of these this week like this is not a crazy complicated surgery other than the fact that you have to saw through your chest to get to it and I was like, yeah, but you don't understand that my family is cursed. <laughs> you know uh -huh. what I mean? So it's like, uh, so that was sort of my feeling about it is that he kept telling me how safe it was. I guess, like, yes, but you don't understand that like the Finnegan family is, you know, this dark cloud over it. And, but then I made it through a fine. So I've realized that uh, my family wasn't cursed. Uh, my brothers and my mom were just weak. <laughs> uh, I, do you, when, like, did you go into it? Did you write out a will? Did you? No, I mean we have a. I, I don't. Do we have a living will? I'm not sure. Uh, I really should be on top of this. Uh, we did m go to the bank and make sure that my wife had access to everything that there the were Bitcoin you wallet, know. all that stuff. Like, yes, exactly. You know me, big Bitcoin guy. Sorry, you don't know me well enough to know how <laughs> no, awful I'm... I find that world. But um, uh, 
I did, you know, we made sure that financially there was there were no barriers. You know, like we took, I think, the money that she didn't have access to, we kind of opened a new account jointly that she had had access to. And I did write a couple of beyond the grave emails, like mm. scheduled a couple that I hastily deleted when I uh, when I woke up. <laughs> but um, just just in case, you know. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. in case. I've done, I've done. Uh, uh, every once in a while, if I'm on a plane and I'm feeling really stressed, I will send out an email, and it's usually just like, "I love you," to, to, <laughs> to like a person, like scheduled that, like if the plane crashes and my phone gets like uh, access as it's falling to the ground, it will send out. You want you really, and you know, if you're being honest, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but I speak for myself. A lot of it is. You know, I love my wife and I want her to know that I want her final thought for me. But really what I want is to create a fucking moment. Do you sure, know what I mean? Sure. Like, yeah. I want this to be a devastating fucking Cameron Crowe movie, bittersweet <laughs> yeah. moment. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And my email uh, is also to your wife. It's just it's like so a, weird. Always, that is yeah. so strange. And it was strange because I was asking for spots, <laughs> which is seems really weird for a beyond the grave email oh god can you imagine someone giving like a full eight minutes they bring you on stage they just leave it we're gonna have an eight minutes of silence oh, but then it'll be no different from when he normally performed <laughs> judy gold told me once uh fame uh, great comedian judy gold and i don't i want to say the other comedian's name but she said her her mom had passed away and this comedian uh wrote or called her immediately and we found out and he's like I'm so sorry that your mom passed away. And if you need anyone to cover your spots for the next couple of weeks. Oh, <laughs> my God. So. Oh, that is so funny. It's so oh. perfect, though. <laughs> Have you ever heard that joke? There's a, a, a great joke, and I'm paraphrasing it. You know, um, a, a guy opens fire in the middle of a comedy show, pulls out a gun, and murders 50 people. And there's blood everywhere. And, you know, it's tragic. Just dead bodies strewn everywhere and afterwards the the police is uh, they're interviewing people and they're interviewing the 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 host and uh and they say so, so let me just get this straight you were the MC of the show correct and he goes usually i feature <laughs> love it <laughs> what is that from i don't know it's just a joke i've heard sort of yeah, apocryphally, yeah. but it, it it says it very well <laughs> yeah. to me it's a horrible horrible <laughs> career um I, how's your recovery going? You feeling okay? Oh God! Oh, no, um, I am good. I am solidly in the annoyance phase of this. Yeah, um, yeah. Where it's just, you know, sleeping sucks because like I usually sleep on my stomach and it's really you sleep on your stomach. I do. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, on yeah. your stomach. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's like the only way. Or that my I side, really, but I, I'm but a side I'm really for comfortable sure. on stomach. Yeah, I'm a stomach dude. Wow, I'm gonna try it tonight. Mm, I love it. Um, and you can't. I mean, now I'm starting to be able to, but it, it starts to get uncomfortable. You know, yeah. first of all, just the incision. Uh, and uh, yeah, it just, it's not comfortable. And so I wake up like 10 times a night. Um, and I, I've i never been a snorer really, but when I'm sleeping on my back, it's happening, yeah. which wakes me up. And I refuse, I just fucking refuse to do a CPAP ever. I just can't. I know that it's something that My girlfriend people- has, is snoring and-, and- the thought of a CPAP for her is just a, a no. Yeah. I mean, I know it's it's kind of become normalized in the past five years or so that it's it's no longer just something that like your weird uncle yeah. has it to do. It was my you know? uncle who had it first. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wait, this yeah. is the machine, right? Like the, the mask the that mask goes over your thing. face, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that there's they're they're coming up with other solutions. Like there's something I saw in I can't I'm doing an ad right now. Uh, Inspire, I think it's called, where they actually insert something under your skin that then when you go to sleep you press a button and oh. I guess it probably I think it's probably like like a Nuva ring or something. Like oh. it uh it opens up your nasal passages or something um i'm gonna get that for tova for the next mm-hmm. birthday i think you have something in your teeth smile real quick oh shit do i Wait, just yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i had a taco on the way here no yeah taco that's a dangerous i eat a lot of almonds mantra. before i go on stage it's like a really bad habit and then i go on stage and they just come out of my mouth during the whole right. do you see it I it's don't, it's that oh yeah i see it yeah yeah there you go uh, uh did you get it i don't i don't think so oh, smile it's still there, right? Yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, if you're fine know. with it, it's pretty small. I, I mean, I'm not. I don't think you're going to zoom in. I'm fine it. with it. I have I, floss here. Look at that. Look at this. How about you guys talk for two okay. seconds? We'll talk for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, floss. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, you get it now? <sighs> Look at that, huh? Wow, perfect, perfect good. smile. Now I'm just looking perfect at how off teeth. my teeth are. Um, <clears throat> so I was, I was also curious because, uh, you know, of course, like many uh, white boys who went to high private high schools in 2006, I knew who you were before. I was even into stand-up comedy because of Chappelle Show. Yes. Do you are you so tired of people bringing it up? No, I I don't really have a feeling about it one way or the other. I, I mean, it, I, I generally. It, this was the real world. Yes. What was it called? It was yeah, called yeah. the Mad, Mad Real, real world. world. Yeah. Was, one of the best. I mean, episode three. Yeah. I, I watched it with Toe. She had never seen my girlfriend. Had never seen uh, Chappelle's show ever. Really? And I just was watching. She works it. in comedy. I know it was just <laughs> you know very strange. I mean, it was a long time ago. <laughs> okay, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's younger. When I was in high school. Chappelle's show, like you came in the next day when he did a little John doing yeah. what? Okay, yeah. that's yeah. all everyone did at the school, and it was just so fascinating because I went to this private school. It was diverse, but like you know, there's just a, this huge white fan base who mm -hmm. didn't probably uh, like grow up in a community with a lot of black people, and we're watching Chappelle's show, and it's a show that like is about like a culture that is like foreign to a lot of people, but something about it just fucking clicked. Well, that, that's I mean, that I think that was kind of the secret sauce of not only Ch that Chappelle show, but of Chappelle in general. I mean, in addition to the fact that he's fucking hilarious and a genius and all those things, but that he grew up, you know, his two parents are, are college professors. You know, he grew up in, you know, white, you know, I think he spent some time going to like a predominantly white school. And so he kind of, I mean, code switching is not the right term, but it's like he, he, exists at that nexus between white culture and black culture like you know I, I don't know if you saw floating around on the internet last week him singing radiohead with the yes. fighters like uh -huh. yeah that's, that's a great point dave yeah. Chappelle. Yeah. there's yeah. not that many black <laughs> comics who are of his age who would automatically just be able to sing <laughs> creep yeah. from by, by heart you know yeah and so but he of course he was you know, uh, massive hip hop head and all those things too. But I think that because he sort of exists at that intersection, it spoke to to everybody at once. And you know, Comedy Central, all the shows to me in my mind that uh, that really made Comedy Central so successful in the '90s and 2000s were those shows that would kind of find that intersection of of black white of rich poor of smart dumb do, do you know what i mean like yeah. that kind of you know yeah. south park you know that that kind of the smartest person you know loved it and the dumbest person you knew loved it you know yeah um and so yeah i mean i i feel very lucky like i i feel very honored to have been a part of it like i gen generally feel like i kind of caught a home run ball with when that. it happened was it like was it a big deal at the time? Was it like a fine gig and it just, the show exploded? Oh, it was a big deal to me because I, I loved Half-Baked and I, you know, Killing Him Softly was uh, one of the things that got me into doing stand-up. Uh, one of the best. That's what made you, were you one of grew them. up in D.C.? Or, or you no, knew, I grew up in Massachusetts. But, but you, you'd like, no, I remember once you recommended me to the D.C. Improv. I, yeah, that's probably the club I, I play the most. Like, that's like oh, yeah? my favorite road club. Yeah, it's... They didn't get back, but... So sorry. I really did appreciate... But, you gave uh, me that rec very early. I did. Yeah, back career. when you were doing that it was very show nice at UCB, at pit, I think. At the pit. At the pit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even worse. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> Hey, the pit still exists, doesn't it? Kind of. Sort of? Yeah. I mean, not it's that, one of the few theater, last standing. Some, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the loft does. Yeah, the pit loft, which is like where we started. You started the pit loft, and then you upgraded to the pit underground, the pit striker. And then we moved <laughs> all the way to UCB, and then it all collapsed. It all collapsed. Who'd you do that show with? I did it with Jay Schmidt. Yeah. I don't and he, he doesn't really do stand-up much anymore. Yeah. That's the way things these things go. That's, you know, when one of the, the sort of... My class of comedians, I always think of, you know, comedy in terms of yeah, like yeah, people always break it down. like, yeah. you know, in terms of the people you came up with, the ones you were doing open mics with all of my good comedy friends all went the writing route. Um, very few of the people that I kind of hung out with in my early years of comedy stayed in the stand up world. And so I, I, I often feel a little bit 
lonely is not the right word, mm-hmm. but I don't know like when people ask like who are your peers like like who do you hang out with in the comedy world it's like i mean i'm friends with everybody but very few of the people that i did open mics with are kind of you know ophira you know kind of is my you know we did a lot of the same shows uh early on but most of my friends like a lot of the conan staff were dudes i started with and um and i kind of started more in that alt world which at the time was a more defined line between like club world and alt world but um but anywho this is all very exciting. To no, me. no, nine I, I, comedy saturated nerds. Too. <laughs> <laughs> now you, when you having this theater, your wife owns the theaters. Yes, she, she owns QED. Yes, was that? Uh, it's always so tough when like a comic is involved. I'm sure people asked you, "Hey, I'd like some spots here." It's, it's a little weird. I mean, I, I've kind of, you know, life is long and it changes in weird ways, and I stop kind of questioning things uh you know for when i when it first started i felt like a little stressed about like like what is this doing for my profile as a comedian like Uh does it make me feel does it make me look does it diminish me somehow to be involved with my wife's club or to be identified with that like as as kind of not a real comic anymore that i you know and i'm sure in some people's minds it does and that's fine i don't i don't care anymore yeah. I, re- I really to don't agree there's so many comics you, you, you not everyone's going to be your your fan or your friend yeah yeah it's, it's just you you can spend a lot of time stressing about it or spend no time stressing about it and the result is the same so yeah. um but you know in a way i mean i a lot of I probably spend more time doing QED related stuff than I do working on my own standup, which is a bad thing. Uh-huh. But uh, especially right now, there's just a lot of work to be done in post pandemic. There's not a real staff. And so I'm helping out with a lot of things that I wouldn't ordinar- ordinarily help out with. And But there's something really super clean about it that I love that, you know, I, the garbage needs to get taken out. It can do that. You know, I can, uh, the, there needs to be a, a run to the beer distributor to go pick up a, a new keg. I can do that. You know, it's, it's very tactile and real as opposed to sitting in front yeah. of my laptop working, uh-huh. which is basically scrolling Twitter for three hours. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm really proud of it. When I first started, I was in a sketch group with two other dudes and, um, I had such an easy time promoting that sketch group. You know, we only existed for like not even two years, but. I had a really hard time promoting myself and I have a super easy time talking about how great QED is because it's, it's not me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's something kind of like, I'm, I'm super proud of, of, of the community around that club and, uh, or venue, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, I'm super proud of my wife for having created it. And I love the fact that there's like a class of comics, you know, and you know, of which you might even consider yourself that like years from now, you know, you're all going to be sitting at a bar somewhere in L.A. probably because you're awful. But uh, <laughs> that's, I resent every comic who moves to L.A. just because like, ugh, because um, I never did. But uh, I love the idea that people will sit around and be like, do you remember that night at QED? Like, I love that. Like, I yeah. love that yeah. in, in, a, in, a, in a, 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 a generation of comed- near comedians' minds, they will remember this place. You know, maybe it'll just be that it sucked. It, hopefully, it won't be like the club you play in Times Square, where it's like a it negative mean, it connotation. QD is definitely like a, a higher grade yeah. experience, or just that. that it, I I did. I just love that. I love the idea. Th- there's something real. There's a legacy there that I've never felt with my own work personally. If yeah. that makes sense. I understand that. It is also, it's always nice to promote sometimes something else. Yeah. You can do it really, because when you're promoting yourself, you know, you, you know, you sound like an asshole because it's you. And so when you get the chance to promote something else, you're free of that. It doesn't seem to like, be a problem for a lot of people. Sure, but, uh, sure. <laughs> well, it is like, we were just talking about this the other day, that with stand-up too, like in theory, a lot of times there's so many shows that it, it feels like, how do I do this in any way that's meaningful? Because I'm just mm-hmm. like throwing up the dates, you know, yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, and sometimes with like a sketch show or something, it happens way less frequently. So you're like, it, it, I don't know, you you can, it just feels a little less. How do you make it meaningful? And yeah, and it just, it just, it just it feels meaningful. cleaner and clearer in my mind sometimes in my career, which becomes this sort of weird fog of 
hope and disappointment and all the you know what I mean where it's just like oh no like the backyard you know we when we were doing shows like whatever the backyard wasn't ready to have a shows and now it is because of the work I did or the stage needed to be painted and I painted it and and so you know there's it sounds dumb but yeah as I've gotten older and I think that during the pandemic especially I think my f- like happiest days in the pandemic when was when I would clean, like clean the apartment or mm. clean QED or whatever, put on some music and just clean. If you want to do some more of that when we're done here, <laughs> and I'm not a clean person, I'm a filthy person, <laughs> but there's something, the control, you know, like I'm doing something. Yeah. It's tactile. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's kind of I have a, I filmed a. a, a a sort of DIY special in the middle of the pandemic, which has taken me forever to sell, but I finally have. You have and congratulations! Yeah. Oh, congratulations! And it's the re- one. There's a lot of reasons it's taken so long, but we just turned in all the artwork and the, you know, the everything. We turned everything in yesterday, um, and it'll be a probably still be a few months before it actually comes out. But um, there's some doc elements in it, and it's kind of about what I'm talking about. It's called Show Your Work. And, uh, and it's about like during the pandemic, we actually lived at QED for a few months. There's a shower there. Uh, no, I had a foot operated camping shower that I would go down in the basement. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. And so there's, it's kind of just about making lemonade out of lemons and sort of just doing what, you know, playing the hand you're dealt and, uh, and doing a show because what the fuck else do I do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm super proud of it. And, uh, but that's kind of this stuff is front of mind right now because it's kind of what I've been swimming in for the past couple yeah. months getting the special ready. That's it's, it's called show your work. It's called show your work. Yeah. And you're not you can't say where it's going to come out. No, I mean we sold it to a distributor who will then place it. Okay, um, cool. And so I don't exactly know. I mean, we talked earlier in the pandemic. We did, about yeah, about yeah, and that in in many ways I kind of wish I had maybe gone that route because it would have been out already and all those things. But Man, uh, let me tell you, we mine had some very uh, pre-election. I'd like them to be heard pre-election jokes, and then like you submit it to Amazon, and they say it'll take two to four business days unless they catch an error, or it's to, or like I heard horror stories all of a sudden that some people yeah. took months. And the way that we did it, we got one press thing on Pix Eleven. And we wrote like Amazon's PR team. Amazon, you know, they you can't reach them normally. We reach out to their PR being like, hey, you know, there's a lot of press around this thing getting released. You don't want the blowback. And like, <laughs> but I was saying like, it was like, listen, it's Amazon, the same way, uh, it's you're going to be some deep shit. It's the same yeah. way that like, if you want to reach the airlines, don't go by the phone, go by their Twitter account. Like there are just yeah, weird yeah. entry points for all these fucking bureaucratic bullshit companies yeah and we barely got it out like a week before but it was yeah i have extremely it was very stressful i have some pre-election material in this special as well and i was like do we need to cut that or whatever and but nobody seems to have a problem with it and you know some of it i even address in the specials like you know i'm I'm filming this before the election you know by the time you watch this this will have already happened you know like how was the great awakening you know yeah yeah, that that kind of thing and so i i kind of frame it as if it's going to be seen after the election, but it is a little weird to be talking about like, you know, man, these Trump voters, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, or maybe it isn't. Do you know what I mean? Cause they're, yeah, yeah. they're still I mean, they're with still us. Around. So, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking, I was hoping you're going to bring up that my special was nominated for an Emmy. Russell and didn't force oh, me to do yeah, it. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, so sorry. Congratulations. Was, no, it's fine. I had to do it on my fucking own. Uh, a New York Emmy. A date New York Emmys. It got for, for performer, director and set design. How did that? I mean, I, not saying yeah. how did it happen. Like I'm shocked, but like, like how did that it come was about? Surprising to everyone. We submitted, you know, the insane submission fee. Uh, uh, I forget how much it cost, but it just like you know whatever category it fit, which was like, who are you against? I don't even know. I didn't even look. People are like, you're going to go to the award. Our friend Chris was like, how can we watch? And I was like, I don't want you guys to watch me lose. The first thought I had was like, mm. let's just take this as a win and move on. I don't want to experience yeah, yeah. the loss yeah. after being nominated. I'm fine with Emmy nominated. Who are your comedian. fellow nominees? I think it's like all over. You know, this is like um, mid-form entertainment between yeah. 11 and 50 minutes. And there's like a someone who does announce her work for the New York Jets and me and, and <laughs> someone who did a, a documentary about 9-11 20 years later like oh, it's a lot of different yeah, yeah. yeah you're definitely gonna lose um uh <laughs> who wait what oh was wait it? what's his name announced it wasn't that, that was kind of funny 
What? Uh, what's his oh, name? Oh, uh, Sandy. Sandy. Uh, he does the taxi know. cab TV uh, where he's like, I'm Sandy Dada. Here's the review of Cats. Oh, I know which one you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, the yeah. New York one, dude. Yeah. Uh, it was just funny that he was in I was so happy he was the one who said yeah. my name. Gianmarco Sarisi. <laughs> yeah. Shelf Life. There's a couple of those New York ones. We, we, we cut the cord. Um, but I miss New York one. I miss, I missed, I'm Dean Meminger. He's got that weird voice. And then there's a guy who, oh, uh, I don't remember his type either, but he talks like this. But, uh, yeah, I miss, I miss the voices more than anything. I think that I'm sure there's like, there's a niche audience that could appreciate yes. all you seem to have mastered all the impressions. Those I, are both dude, very good. I have said, if I was going to do another podcast and it would appeal to nobody, but <laughs> I would enjoy it. I want to do a podcast where every episode addresses a different commercial that plays on Sirius XM because uh, I listen to Sirius XM a yeah. lot or, uh, and they play the same 30 commercials in rotation and so I know them by heart and they're all these dumb startups I don't know what it is about these like tech startups that every fucking CEO of a startup thinks that they should be the one to do their yes. commercials and yeah like, you know like I'm Sla I'm Cassandra from Moo.com or you know and uh, you know hey uh, we make socks and you know people say to me why did you start a sock company or like no one gives like you're not interesting I know you, you have surrounded you're you're some rich kid who got some VC money and you surround yourself with people who laugh at your jokes but it's like there's no you're not a voiceover artist no one cares like oh yeah. wow you're the guy who created Bombas ooh tell me more like. <laughs> Are you a, do you do a lot of voice your impressions you just showed off four great well, impressions Well uh, yes if if you know Dean Meminger uh <laughs> no, <laughs> no I you know it's funny I, I had a very I remember the first sort of industry person I ever dealt with at all I was doing like I had just graduated from open mics to booked shows and one time after a, I'd been doing comedy maybe 18 months or something like that mm. and a woman came up to me after a show and she's like, I'm a voiceover agent and I would love to start submitting you for things. And I didn't really know what that entails. I was like, oh my gosh, she picked me. I didn't realize that would just be like a name that she would just send out with a thousand yeah. other people. And and I remember thinking to myself like, it begins. The rocket ride starts now, you know? <laughs> and so she sent me out on one audition and then 10 days later she calls me and she's like, um, I just want to let you know, uh, I'm actually going to be leaving the uh, voiceover business. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, what do you think you're going to do? And she's like, I'm thinking of bartending. Oh. And then I was like, oh, you're the person who I had pinned all my hopes on. <laughs> like, And then, and I, oh, I feel that like that kind so of. so funny. I've always remembered that. That it's like these people who you think of as being the yeah. pinnacle, like the decision makers. They're just idiots trying to struggle their way through life as well. You know, there are these yeah. overeducated, underskilled people who wind up in the, you know, the the biz end of this world. And, you know, they're just idiots. Yeah. There's so many stories. I mean, I've heard so many stories of like that, of like people, you know. Yeah. No more idiots than and us. Then they Nobody just, they call they're, they're just, just not getting out of it, leaving. Yeah. Well, you know, they're, they're, they're not some elite crew of people no. that have these specialized skills. No. Yeah. They can learn it later. But like I talked to my girlfriend, told me was a manager and like. Like she learned like how to analyze, you know, legal documents like on the job. Like it's, you know, you read a contracts and I'm like, I don't yeah. know what the fuck I'm looking at. And she had to like learn that while she was in charge of them at the same time. Exactly. And she's figured it out. But I'm like, how? Yeah. How did you do yeah. this without going to school with for a it? With a thing like a. Yeah. Yeah. And, and did the people you were representing, were they aware that you were Googling these phrases? Sure. <laughs> exactly. And I, I just felt like I had an agent who left like early on. It was like a new agency and I was, I was super excited. And then she yeah. left and I was like, can you throw like a Hail Mary? Like if you're going to leave the industry, if you really claim you're going to leave the industry, write that cast director and say, you have to see this person or I will kill myself and then leave. Yeah. Burn yeah. All yeah the bridges. Anyway. If you really yeah. believe you're going to leave this business, burn all the bridges, help your clients out one last time with, uh, with suicide threats. If they don't see you for an audition, that's what yeah. I would like. I've just, I would if do they anything. Showed, if they really cared about the craft, that's what exactly. they would um, I, uh, uh, before we go on to our last thing, I want to talk about, uh, you know, Cambry's father who, who, 
So much interesting stuff. Yes. Well, you talked about him on stage. Oh yeah, which I, I thought yeah. was so camera. So, so could you? Would you mind telling us why it's so interesting? <laughs> uh, well, um, my wife actually wrote a memoir that was a New York Times bestseller uh, like ten years ago, uh, which you can read all about. So it's not like a secret. My my wife grew up in the deep woods of Texas uh, to two deaf people. Um, um, her mom is technically hard of hearing. She's legally deaf, but if she has both of her hearing aids in and you can get her attention, like you can get her attention, then she'll read your lips and she sounds like, but her dad was what they call profoundly deaf, which is, you know, could only sign and things like that. But they were very poor and she grew up in a trailer that got repossessed and they had to move into a tin shed, like literally a corrugated tin and, uh, you know, uh, and then her dad, uh, tried to kill her mother uh and then but then her mom didn't want to press charges and then years later wait i'm sorry for a second uh, tried to kill and my, he, like he tried like, to kill camry what did mother. he try to he, uh, he strangled her and camry was there and like called the police and oh, it was like a, like a three-hour sort of hostage situation ordeal oh my uh God. and but then he went to jail for trying to kill another woman when she was uh in her early 20s or mid-20s i guess uh he uh cut a woman's throat and stabbed her five times i don't know if it's five could be eight i can't remember the exact number but uh were they, were they uh seeing each other yes it was like I, it, okay it was either his third wife or his second wife because it was never really clear whether he had officially divorced his second wife it was a yeah it's a fucked up situation yeah. <laughs> clearly and so he was uh uh sentenced to 20 years in jail and that's actually where she kind of rediscovered a relationship with him, you know, cause he wasn't allowed to drink anymore and, and things like that. And, and she kind of became his link to the outside world, what, what he would call the free world. And they would write each other constantly and, you know, cause they couldn't talk obviously. And, you know, we would go down to visit him occasionally. And we started dating right pretty soon after he, he went into jail. And so it was kind of a, you know, I've known her kind of through that whole process. And he was paroled last year. He was wow. approved for, well, he was, he was not released. He was approved for parole. But the way Texas does it, because they're fucking pieces of shit, like, you know, all these sort of reintegration courses you have to take, you know, anger management and, you know, substance abuse courses. They don't let you take those courses until you've been approved for parole. So even though he'd been sitting there for 20 years, because uh, he had been denied parole a bunch of times, yeah. and he was basically going to fill out almost his entire sentence. And I think the only reason he was maybe approved is they, you know, because of COVID, they wanted to start trying to get people out or whatever. Anyway, uh, in that time, it was discovered that he had late stage cancer, and uh, f he was given like a few months to live. And we were hoping that he would get out in time. They could at least be out in the free world for a few weeks. He ended up dying five days later. It was a really kind of nuts situation. Like, and it was so awful the way they did it. Um, in the hospital, they had, of course, had to bring him to a hospital. They would allow him to have one five-minute conversation with Cambry. And it was on an iPhone, which he had never seen before. He had, you know, he, the guy has been in prison for 20 years. Yeah. And so he's fucked up on dr pain medication, whatever. And somebody's holding this rectangle in front of him and his daughter's face is in front of him. And he's just like, like, Cambry, is that you? And, and there's literally a woman being like three more minutes, two and a half minutes, two minutes, you know, even though this guy's on, he's dying. He's clearly dying. He's basically got no teeth. He's like a hundred pounds for a guy who's like six, four. Like it's, it's. Uh, it was just a really awful, you know, it, it, it really, I never really thought much about the criminal justice system or whatever, and I'm not going to pretend I'm any expert now, but kind of having seen it through her eyes, you really wonder, like, what are we doing with these people who are in jail? Because, like, clearly mm -hmm. you're not trying to rehabilitate these people, you know. So, you know, they're going to, one of Cambry's sort of bugaboos that she would always get on, before before he passed away is like these people are gonna get out someday the vast majority of these people will be your neighbor at some point so shouldn't we at least try to you know uh yeah. make them members of society if not just execute people summarily when they're convicted right because That's, like when i yeah. did that that prison gig uh uh last year pre-covid it was the first time going into like a, a kind of prison and part of me is like 
how could anyone if i was here for a week i'd i'd go nuts mm -hmm. like it's just there's nothing about it that is like well this is gonna help yeah it's all so let me ask so when you when you first start dating her because she obviously has a connection as her father did you have any thought like were you like are you of the moral mindset where you're like, oh, I did like a crazy thing. I'm sure he was fucked up and drunk. Or did you judge? Did you go like, oh, this guy, he's a bad man um, at the beginning? At the beginning, you know, it all seems so remote 20 years back then. You know, I, th I think she had only he'd been in there for like a couple of years when we started dating or maybe less than that. But so it all kind of seemed like something I was never going to have to deal with. You know, yeah. and obviously mm -hmm. in the early part of my relationship, I was like, oh, this will be another few months and then we'll move on you know oh sure either I thought she'll, you were gonna say yeah. it's gonna be she'll a... dump me at a certain point and this won't even be an, a factor i thought yeah. you were gonna say it's gonna be another few minutes for <laughs> well state. and i was like yeah yeah for sure <laughs> you get through that van morrison cd then i'm out of here <laughs> uh, call back um i mean yeah i mean i've met him a few times you know we would go down and of course i couldn't communicate with him directly but cambry would have to translate doing asl and um you know, I, I kind of had a pretty clear image of who the guy is. You know, very charming. You know, he was kind of like a deaf Fonzie. Like, he was uh -huh. very charismatic. Like, even even though he couldn't communicate Not playing with the me. jukebox at all, though. Yeah, no, no, no jukebox <laughs> like, But just, like, a real swagger to him. It was kind of a ladies' yeah. man when he was in the free world. and uh, But just a really angry drunk and uh, a lot of rage. Because he had been, like, dumped in a basically a prison essentially a deaf a school for the deaf when he was like four years old like his parents like left him there with the suitcase yeah and and so it basically been institutionalized you know and as often happens when those people then get out into the real world they don't have any social skills and so they act out and then they end up back in prison like he had been in prison periodically through her life you know or jail not necessarily prison but like small short sentences but you know i i always i knew how much it meant to her to have a relationship with him and he loved her very dearly like he would draw her these you know little pieces of artwork you know and and draw her birthday cards and things like that and so they had a real relationship um i was definitely you know we we talk now about how it's obviously it's tragic for him that he was not able to at least experience a little bit of time out in the free world before he passed away but we acknowledge that we kind of dodged a bullet um mm. Because uh, Cambry has a brother, but her brother's mentally ill and has issues, and so it would have fallen on us. Did, they, you know, did the brother have no relationship with the? He had a he had a relationship, but it was it was a it was. They would have been a bad influence yeah. on each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he would had some run-ins with the law himself, or gotcha. whatever, and so it really would have fallen on us to sort of take care of this guy. And so we were looking at like trying to get him a house upstate, you know, or something. And we're going to have to basically take care of this Rip Van Winkle guy who yeah. has no experience in the 21st century. And so, you know, it was, Cambry was like, I'm going to film a documentary about it, you know, and it probably would have been a fantastic documentary, yeah. but it was not something I was like, as sort of the husband in it, I was kind of like, yeah, that'll be fun, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, and she acknowledges that in many ways it was a, a lucky, I don't know if lucky is the right word, yeah, but yeah, yeah. that there was an upside to the way it all went down. But, um, you know, I don't know. What can you say? What can you say? Yeah. I, I, I ran out of things to say. And Sorry. she, she got, <laughs> she was able to, at before he passed, like she, oh, the most she got was the five minute on a phone. Yeah. I think they had two five minute or maybe even one. But, you know, I love you. But he was completely doped out of his brain anyway. I mean, the thing is, she they knew they loved each other it was not one of those there was nothing unsaid yeah, yeah, yeah. between the two of them they had a very had they ever s seen each other in person pre-covid like did they uh, ever well, get to, yeah we go down at least once a year to and when, to when you went down could they hold were they able to touch hug once when when we were still dating there had to be glass between us once we got married uh we were able to be in a uh, i think only once I only met him like three or four times, but Cambry probably went down 10 times in the time that we were together. Uh, she would just go down for herself for a weekend or something, you know, a few days. Um, and they were able to have a contact visit. And mm -hmm. uh, I think I only had a contact visit with him once and he stabbed me, which was really weird. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Christian. And you're like, oh I my don't God. know if he's quite ready <laughs> oh yet. My oh, God. That's not the kind of contact you. I was hoping for. And I thought a nice hug would have been I fine. Should I tell the board <laughs> oh about my this? God. The Pearl board. <laughs>
Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Uh, but yeah. So yeah, it's. I mean, it, I don't know how deep down this rabbit hole. I know we're we're you know coming to a conclusion with this, but uh, I got it. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But um. But yeah, I mean, everybody has their own shit, you know, like when our very first date, I didn't really have a particularly strong relationship with my mother. Like we were estranged for a number of years and we, even when we weren't estranged, we weren't like the kind that would call each other a lot and things like that. And my mother was was severely mentally ill and she had borderline personality disorder. And when we had our first date, I remember, you know, I would constantly worry when I went out with women that the topic of my mother would come up because a lot of women will judge a guy according to his relationship with his mother. Mm. And, and so when she brought it up and I was like, well, we have a weird relationship. And she's like, Oh, don't even worry about it. <laughs> she was like, let me tell you about my dad. And I was yeah. like, Oh, okay. This feels much more comfortable now. That is nice. I think Tove and I, my current girlfriend, we both have like challenging relationships with our yeah. parents. And I always found people I'm connected to have, something strange with their parents. There's a reason why we ended up doing this. Of course. <laughs> people who are like close with their dads, like our friend Chris, I'm like, what the fuck's Well, going I always on? say like funny people who had a good family become improv people and funny people who had a bad family become stand-ups. I love that. Let's <laughs> let's move on to our, our This Has Gotta Stop. This Has Gotta Stop. Uh, Christian, I know you read the email. This Has Gotta Stop. I read the whole paragraph. Thank um, you. Uh, what's your This Has Gotta Stop? Uh, I appreciate you. Uh, the phrase, I appreciate you. Interesting. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Appreciate you. Any variation of the appreciating you as opposed to I appreciate that. Uh, cannot stand it. I find it arrogant and condescending. Um, when are people saying this to you? Well, you, you you'll see people do it all the time. It, I think it kind of started as a hip hop thing that has kind of then just worked its way into sort of the white person vernacular. Like, like you know, you, oh, uh, hey, I got you a coffee. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. You yeah, know, like that. Yeah, that yeah, okay, thing. yeah, I'm getting it. It's now. it's a yeah. it's a thing you hear people say. It's like a slightly cooler way of saying thanks. You know, like hey, appreciate you, appreciate you. And you find it condescending. I find it enragingly annoying. Like, oh, really? You appreciate me? Ooh, what an honor! I feel so honored that you appreciate me because, like, I appreciate that. It's like, okay, yes, I, thank you for doing that thing that you did. Yeah. But to say I appreciate you, you're putting yourself in the position of someone whose appreciation is of massive worth to me. Do, yes. do you know what I mean? I understand what you're saying. Where it's like, it's not being like I, I really appreciate this. Yes, it's I like really if you're going to use that. that word, it's like you know, if if you like before I go under for surgery, I go, I you know, I grab you by the face and say, I appreciate it, you. Like that's exactly. that's the worth of that word. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, and and yeah, there's a a sort of power dynamic to it. It's like you know, hey, I just want to let you know, like you know, uh, don't don't you worry, I acknowledge you. So congratulations on that. I used to do a bit a long time ago about people who point at other people in photos. And it's the same principle oh. is the, the principle of being like, uh, hey, I know that you think I'm awesome, but don't don't forget this guy's cool, too. Yeah. You know, and I, I it, it's that sort of attitude of yeah. sort of like, you know, I know you were wondering. I want to I want you to relax. I appreciate you. Like, oh, thank oh, you. I hate it. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. Go back to thanks. Let's go to our final. You better count your blessings. Uh, this is where we say one positive thing. Uh, Russell, do you have a blessing? I do have a, a, a real one. Um, uh, Good. I, I, I was hoping. Like I, I feel like I do real ones. But um, <laughs> I have a real one. Uh, my friend who had this horrific uh, accident uh, months ago. Yes. Um, lost who, his legs. Lost his legs. He um, took his first steps this week. Uh, he got his first prosthetics put on and uh i saw a video uh, yesterday of him taking his first steps uh you know what did the prosthetics therapy. look like there i mean they're they're basically for a while he has to do like kind of pretty basic prosthetics i mean they look you know they look like prosthetics but uh, i think after a certain amount of time when he gets used to those they move on to like a more elaborate kind of thing i remember the running is like some special yeah like where, there's well, i saw one where it was looked just like they 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 weren't trying to look like legs yeah. basically no, but no, these no. look like 
No, they, 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 no, they're not trying to look like legs. The, the, yeah. the ones that he has right now. Um, but, uh, it's so exciting. But yeah, he was, you know, he's at physical therapy and. Does and, it look hard? Like, is he, like, is that balance? Is it a yeah, struggle it's to balance? A, you know, you're on the bars and like, you're having to like, it's a whole new thing and like turning and stuff like that. So, but, uh, he had always said he wanted to by July cause his, he's, his wife's pregnant. She's about to have a baby. He wanted to be standing and blah, blah, blah. And so July 1st, he took his first steps. So yeah, it's very well, exciting. Yeah. That's a, that's a yeah, very yeah. sweet one. Um, I'll, I'll tie my blessing back to, I don't know if this, you know, you, this, this very soft strike is going to work, but it did feel good for a moment with these other comedians in a, in a workplace to be like, let's all do something together. We're all being treated poorly together. I don't know if it's going to work, but it felt like it, it felt nice for them to be like, you, you know, you got to join us because the club will be okay if you work there. And it's so it, for a moment you're like, okay, do I they have some worth? Is the club aware that this is happening or they did, cause you're doing it on 4th of July weekend. Do they just think that everybody's out of town? I I'm pretty sure learn, that like, it's going to be a gradual message. <laughs> I think, I think it will become apparent or it is becoming apparent. Maybe you're right. Well, at least you're being passive aggressive. That's the yes. important thing. <laughs> that's, to, that's, you're, to have, you have plausible deniability. Yeah. So. Yeah. I revoke my blessing. Christian, <laughs> do you have a blessing to close us out? Uh, sure. I, I, we moved into a new apartment recently, and yes. I think I have a good deli guy, oh, which is a big deal. To that me. is a big, a big deal. deal. He makes good sandwiches. He's cool. He makes good sandwiches, but like is unflappable. Like, you know, he's not, he doesn't get overwhelmed and flustered and he knows like the proper ingredient ratios. You know what I mean? Like you just, sometimes you walk into a deli and like, you know, you're in good hands. Yes. Yep. You know, you're in good hands. Yeah. And other times it's like, oh, this guy's a fucking mess. And that's how I would be. If I worked at Delhi, I'd be a fucking mess. Like, I'd be like, oh, sorry, what? And mayonnaise too? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, <laughs> this guy, he gets it. I like a little uh, balsamic vinaigrette drizzled on my chicken salad, mm. which I highly recommend. Uh, try it. And he, he understood. He was like, balsamic vinegar? Uh, you know, sometimes you get people freak out. Yes. He got it immediately. Can oh, I just get a little yeah. bit of balsamic vinaigrette on that? And perfect. Perfect amount, too. He understood. Yeah. Just put a little bit. Do you know his name? Uh, no, do Great. not know. Um, all right, well, thank you again. Again, if you like this, please check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash downside. Uh, anything you want to plug? Um, well, yeah, keep your eyes peeled in the next uh, few months, I guess, um, to uh, for uh, Show Your Work, which will be available on various platforms, I hope. And uh, I have four albums on uh, iTunes and Spotify and a couple specials out there. So just, you know, you, you can I listened Google. to them all this week for the second time. Uh, find me, Joe Marco Cerezi online. I'll post everything. We should say QED too. Go to yes, QED. Go to QED. QED. QED is uh, one of one of the QED best venues in, in New York. And if if you don't like the the grungy kind of comedy club where you feel like you're going to get STDs just from walking on it, go to QED. It's a, yes, a, a little a little less uh, like down and dirty dive club and a little more kind of. Uh, There's a bookshop in the front. Yes, yeah, a, yes. Come you want to hang out there? It's kind of yes. midway between yeah. a club and a bookshop. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and uh, Russell, I think Uncle Function show. Yeah, August thirteenth, I think, whenever this is coming out. So yeah, we, yeah, we're it'll still be August thirteenth. The show, no matter when it comes out. That's true. August thirteenth, seven thirty uh, p.m. NYC at Asylum NYC. Yeah, and uh, uh, remember, um, you know, whether you're in jail or or not in jail, we are all imprisoned by our mortality. This is the downside. One, two, three. Downside.